It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing on this very last day of September. Hmm. You know, I say this all the time, but the, the months are just running by. It's, it's so crazy. Um, anyway, today we're going to be talking with um, philosophical writer Robert Hamady, um, who says that consciousness is a biological process like the digestion. Uh, Robert Hamady is a philosophical writer, and he talks about this in his thought-provoking book, A Guide to Self-Revelation and Self-Appreciation, called You Are Some Piece of Work. He was inspired to write this book after watching his father succumb to a brain tumor and coming to the realization that we don't produce our actions even though we may be certain that we do. You Are Some Piece of Work is a concise read on the supremacy of the brain via the mind. Robert Hamady is a philosophical writer with a particular interest in consciousness. He is a lawyer and strategic planner with a degree in philosophy. His other works include In Search of the Elusive I and the other virtual you and the and grocery man that's a separate book okay um we're gonna get started good morning robert and welcome to a fine time for healing hi thank you so you know this as i said in the intro um and i did learn this about you you vision that we're not who we imagined we are to be began when you were entering your father's hospital room. Um, Would you tell us about that? Well, um, I saw the effect of a brain tumor on my dad, who was a very active, uh, successful CEO. And um, within a couple of weeks, he couldn't count past five. And uh, then I began to ask myself, how can that happen? but it's happening in the brain. And what happens in the brain, everything that happens in the brain, happens in the mind because the mind is a brain function. So I started doing research on it and uh, I basically came up with something. No, I didn't come up with it. I mean, it's there to see, but it's not easy to uh, accept. Um, We know who we are. I mean, we pose, we pose it to ourselves, we present ourselves to others, and we uh, post ourselves on social media. But what we are is something that we don't think about. And so what I'm saying is there's probably a universally accepted answer about what we are, and you can express it and demonstrate it in this way. Quote, you want to know what I am? I'll show you. I now choose to raise my arm. The arm goes up. That's what I am. I'm an internal being that raised my arm, and I have the free will to choose whether to do it. Now, who would doubt that? It certainly seems that way. You announce that you, the internal being in your body, are going to raise your arm. You have the desire and the intention to raise it. Your arm goes up. You know that you raised it. But care to make a bet on it? Because you would lose, and there's no trick to it. You are an internal being who did not raise your arm, nor did you make the announcement that you would raise it, in other words. And then what I provide are six neurological findings that show that it's really the brain that does it and the brain that constructs the self and has the self-belief that it uh, operates the body. So... What is the difference between the brain, the mind, um, and, well, the body is obvious, but when you talk about the the brain, um, 
or the mind. What are you what are you referring to? Because you say, well, uh, OK, I'll let you explain that. OK, well, um, there are organs in the body that do things. And uh, for instance, the stomach and uh, the liver and that uh, they their function is to digest and uh, the brain's function is to mediate our heart rates and our digestion and to provide consciousness. What is consciousness? It's the sense of a self, a person that has a past and a future. I know when I was born and right now I have somewhat of a future and uh, uh, it's a brain function this mind and when the brain is affected like by a brain tumor then the mind is affected just like when the liver is affected your digestion will be affected and it's closely correlated nothing happens in the mind that didn't happen first in the brain and uh, so uh, one of the neurological findings that I thought was persuasive uh, it was a French uh, neurosurgeon named Michel Desmerger in 2009. He reported that during brain surgery on seven awake patients, when their right, well, when their parietal regions were electrically stimulated, the patients reported the desire and intention to move a hand or arm or foot, but they never did and then stimulation of the inferior parietal regions triggered the intention to move the lips and to talk, but they didn't. Stronger electric, electrical current in those areas convinced the patients that they, they had actually moved, although they hadn't. But when the premotor, premotor cortex was stimulated, the patients moved their hands, or rather their hands and arms moved, or their mouth moved, firmly denied that they had done so. What seems um, obvious in the case here that uh, it's what's happening in the brain that creates what's happening in the mind. Hmm. That's really fascinating. So you've come up with um, six neurological findings that indicate this, that it's our brain, not us, that directs ourselves and our bodies what other yes, neurological um, findings did you, was this one or was this two that you just shared no that's uh, there were six uh from that finding okay from the electrical stimulation of the brain i mean if we go into it what you see and uh they recorded what the patients said uh I'm going to move, the patient says, but he doesn't. And then uh, when it stimulate, his brain is stimulated again, I've just moved, she says, but she didn't. When it's stimulated again, I did not move, she says, but she did. In other words, it all depends on where the stimulation of the brain is happening. It depends, and, that's, and the result is what you're going to say and what you're going to believe. So her intention to move didn't produce movement. Her belief that she moved is unrelated to movement. Her brain initiates her movement in coordination with her desires, her intentions, and beliefs. And so the study suggests that you lack agency, which is the capacity to act. Your feeling of agency is real. The feeling is real. But your agency is an illusion. And your sense of of uh, um, free will is an illusion. Also, it's all it depends on what's happening in the brain. Now, I mean, this sounds uh, pretty serious, but the fact is, nothing changes. And uh, in the second part of the book, I talk about uh, how fantastic it is that we are what we are. I mean. You've got 96, 86 billion neurons and 100 trillion connections among these neurons. 
And what that can do, what that produces, is absolutely astonishing. And when you read that and you see what it produces and how it can do, we take consciousness for granted. But uh, how the brain can, for instance, um, let me see if I can find it here. How it can, like when I'm, the uh, the experience that I'm having right now, there are forms, and by the way, the colors are not out there. The colors are in the mind. There's no color out there. And uh, so all of these things that 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 are produced to create my present experience, the sense of an eye that is right now looking at my bookshelf that has a telephone up to my ear and that is... Uh, that sees everything around and everything, the paintings, the colors, the forms, everything comes from a different part of the brain and how the brain puts all that together to create my experience is beyond my imagination. And uh, I, I would just close with the, that we, we take it for granted, but we don't really appreciate what we have. And the, what I say in the end is, do you see the wonder in your present consciousness? Probably not. You've outgrown it. What you're doing now is just reading. But see it through the eyes of a four-year-old. Quote, what's it like to read, Mom? How do you look at letters and know what they're saying? That might make you smile and reply, I can't tell you what it's like. You have to do it to know. And that's coming very soon. But the boy's not put off. Yeah, but how do you do it? And then when you're asked how you do it, the mother says, how do I do it? I mean, we don't know how we do it. How do you do it? How do you look at symbols and see meaning? There is a long answer and a short answer. The long answer that charts your neuronal operations is still being, being written and will fill millions of pages. The short answer is what it all comes down to in six words. You are some piece of work. (laughs) <laughs> so it's an appreciation that when you see what your brain is and what it creates and what it does, you will marvel at your average day. I love the title of the book. It's so it's it's um, really a great title because we really are some piece of work, but in a good way, right? And when yes, we say yes, this, but... when we hear this said, it's usually not in such a good way, but, but we are. Um, so our real is it, so our brain creates our sense of self. Now, yes. So, you know, there's different philosophies on who our self is. And some will say that our self is not our physical self at all, that it's a that a con- it's a consciousness that is mm, eternal, perhaps, but that would not be there would not be a physical explanation for that. So, what's the difference between who we are eternally, if you believe that, and um, who we are from our brain that creates this sense of self? Are you understanding my question? Well, I think so. Um, yeah, that takes in a, a lot. And um, I think that I want to say, and I put it in the uh, forward of my book. Um, let me just go to it right now because... Sure. There are neurological studies that point to conclusions which go against what we may faithfully believe about ourselves. We can respect the neurological evidence and have faith in our beliefs by seeing the validity in the words of the evolutionary biologist J.B.S. Aldane, quote, my own suspicion is that the universe is not only queerer than we suppose, but queerer than we can suppose. And so I put that in there because we believe and need to believe that, you know, we're, uh, that when we die, 
something of us continues, that it can't just come to an end, that it, 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 that there's so much complexity here and that we're there, there's more to it than that. And the universe is queerer than we can suppose, so anything is possible. You, A lot of faiths, you cannot say about the universe, no, that is absolutely not true. The only thing that is not true are uh, logical statements like two plus two is five. That, that we can say is not true, but about the universe, anything is possible. So you can have your faith, but when you look at the neurological studies, what they point to is that the self is a brain construct and that uh, when the brain goes haywire, the self goes haywire. And uh, when there is a problem in the brain in this area, you go in and see a neurologist and he's going to tell you, we got to do something over here. They're not, they're not talking to you when there's a brain tumor about, uh, you know, you got to see a psychologist. It's, it's happening physically. And so that's it. It's uh, the brain is part of the body and this part of the body, the brain produces what, we are now experiencing right now, which is I am something, I am somebody, I am this person, and I am having this king at my bookcase. Um, so your father, um, he had this physiological disease that was uh, causing this to happen in him. Do you think that his sense of self was there, even though he was not able to share that. Yes, uh, he uh, he was testing himself. He was giving himself quotations. Um, Lafayette, we are here. That's General Pershing. He had trouble speaking, but he was testing himself. He knew who he was, and he knew he was no longer who he was. So he had continuous sense of self that was but what that self was able to do or rather what his experience of what he could do it was uh, seriously diminished and then that sense of self disappeared and when the the tumor developed so quickly that it outran its blood supply when it outran its blood supply he came back into consciousness and was again counting to five. But then the tumor regained its blood supply, started to uh, expand again, and then he disappeared. Well, so it looks very much like uh, what's happening in the mind is correlated to what's happening in the brain. The thing that's happening with us right now can be accounted for by what is happening in the brain. So uh, this um, brings to mind my sister who passed away um, a year ago in May, and she she died of Lou Gehrig's disease, um, ALS. And when you have that disease, your mind is fully functioning, but nothing is working. so I wonder how that relates to this. Do you have any thoughts on that? I don't. I don't really know um, uh, what creates ALS. I can't comment on that. Um, yes, uh, it's, uh, there's a lot of ways in which the brain can dysfunction, and the results of that. Uh, well, I'll give you one. Uh, when a person is subject to serious seizures where they are dangerous. What surgeons can do is to cut the corpus callosum, which is the, it's the connection between the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere. The right hemisphere operates the left part of the body and the left hemisphere operates the right part of the body. When they do that, then the seizure will affect only one of the uh, hemispheres and not the other. And uh, so you're not gonna fall, hit your head, you know, things like that but the result is that when you go shopping you've got two control centers and they're not communicating with each other and the right hand 
will be putting food into the uh, into the cart, and the left hand will be taking it out, putting it back. <laughs> or okay. uh, actually, you you put your pants on with one hand and take it off with the other. <laughs> and uh, there was a situation; it was quite humorous. A woman, let's see, um, she her left eye was covered up. And wait a minute, her right eye was covered. And her right eye feeds information to the left hemisphere. And the left hemisphere has the um, has the language function. The right hemisphere has spatial functions and something like that. All right, so the two hemispheres were separated so that when the right eye was covered up, then the uh, hemisphere with the language function could not see what was happening. So the woman was shown a picture of a naked man. Well, she laughed because the right hemisphere, um, quote unquote, saw it. And she laughed and the left and the left hemisphere, the person with the language function I say the person, the the self or that part of the self with the language function asked, what's so funny? So in other <laughs> words, splitting the splitting the corpus callosum in a way splits the self and uh you are in a sense two different people. In a sense. So this is the surgery that is sometimes done with um, with epileptics. And so yes. anyone who has this surgery is going to experience this? Yes. Yes. Uh, you, you'll need therapy to uh, work it out, but you've got two control centers and... Uh, and I guess I guess there's a lot you can do to uh, to operate, but uh, you don't have a complete self. I mean, it's uh, there's a split self. That's so or interesting. Two yeah, I didn't. I just did not know that. That's so interesting. You're um, you're very much into philosophy, right? So how how did you? Um, I know that it was walking into your father's room and seeing him um, and seeing what he was going through that prompted you to think like this. But have you thought about consciousness and the self before? No. Um, no, I hadn't. And in philosophy, that isn't what I studied. And uh, we study ethics, logic, uh, history of philosophy, uh, language, language. That's what we uh, not the mind, not philosophy of mind. When I observed my father, oh, oh yes, yeah, there's, yeah, it's, there's, the physical is, uh, has all of the explanations for the mental. Okay, that's how it is. And, uh, or that's certainly how it appears to be from all the studies. And uh, uh, you can be fine with that to appreciate what you have, because when you do, when you do see what the brain consists of and what it can do, that is in the second part of the book. It it is uh, astonishing. Um, I went to a, uh, and this is in the book too. I went to a spiritual. Uh, meeting one time and uh, because I had had an experience of a loss of self and what they call uh, uh, a taste of enlightenment where there's a, a sudden loss of self there's just what is and okay. uh, a feeling of bliss and so I went to this and the spiritual teacher was saying uh, about awareness uh, awareness is God, awareness is everything, awareness is what is, awareness, awareness, awareness. Uh, and they had, in other words, this is something magical, it's something out there. 
I raised my hand. I said, how about awareness is brain function? Well, the word brain stunned the audience. And uh, they did not want to believe that awareness was simply, simply a, uh, a, a mental event. And finally, the, uh, the spiritual teacher thought, and he said, I feel I am in awareness. And that satisfied and I, the uh, other people there, and they smiled, and they were reassured that uh, awareness had not been reduced to a mental event. And those six words that... Um, uh, awareness was not reduced to a mental event makes me smile now because nothing is more astonishing than a mental event. It's absolutely <laughs> amazing. And that's the thing, even now when I talk about it, well, I've written about it and I've looked at it and I've looked at it and, you know, and all, but it's still, every time I say it, I'm astonished. And when you, when you read about what the brain can do, uh, you will be too. So the mental event was this um, this connection with kind of all there is. And what other kind of mental events are there that we may have? Well, there's, uh, you know, your beliefs, your uh, your emotions, your hates, your loves, your... Um, Desires, cravings, um, enjoyments, all of that. Uh, these are all mental events. Uh, talking on the phone, uh, thinking about it, worrying about it, wondering about it. All of these slightly different things. And uh, they are the result of slightly different um, functions of the brain. And when you think of all of the things that you can do, sight, that especially, the colors, the forms, the uh, the way that they're put together, and where it is in the universe. I'm in a room, in a building, on a block, in space, and uh, all of that comes together. And for people who have... Uh, brain dysfunction of one kind or another, you lose that. And when you lose it, then you see what the brain, what the brain does. It, uh, like, uh, for certain people, uh, they, they can look at a, a watch and, but they've got, it doesn't all come together as one thing. The person says, and this is in the book too, I see my watch strap, I see the minute hand, I see the the dial, and I have to put them together because the brain no longer can do that. And uh, when his disease becomes worse, then his speech and everything else becomes shattered and uh, things just don't fit together. You look at a key and you look at a lock and you don't know what they have in common. <laughs> when you you can really appreciate the brain when you see the um, when the brain uh, dysfunctions and you see what the losses are, you can really appreciate what you have. It's so important that you're pointing this out because we do take so much for granted. Wow. You know, when you begin to break it down the way that you are, and we real and you realize what that we are some piece of work, truly yeah. a miracle. It truly is a miracle how um, how we're put together and what we can do. So, um, is there any um, any other examples or um, aspects of this that you wanted to share with us? Well. There is one other part of the uh, book, um, and I ask, uh, I don't want to get too deep into this because it goes on for a while, but uh, 
I ask, you know, as complex and as wonderful as the brain is, why do we have uh, pain, suffering, depression? I mean, how did that come about? And uh, um, I basically say that there is one, there is one uh, aspect, one characteristic of our consciousness which has enabled us to uh, probably it's uh, so instrumental to our survival and that's the sense of time um, let me let me see if I can get this uh, wait a minute I'll find it here sure. human consciousness is temporal Okay, it does not consist of a succession of present moments. Instead, your present experience has a sense of past, present, and future, the sense of change, and the sense of order. And you can experience these aspects of time when you're listening to music. Your sensory data will be individual notes and chords, but you will be hearing the song and the symphony. Well, the the survival advantage bestowed on us by that by the sense of time is enormous we can learn from the past and plan for the future but it comes with a trade-off and the trade-off is this when you consider the unfortunate wildebeest let's say who from all appearances lacks our sense of time but then what would what survival advantage would the human sense of time in the future give a wildebeest on any night, the packs of lions and hyenas wade into the wildebeest herd for their dinner. When the attack comes, the herd stampedes. Soon after the predators have terminated their attacks, our wildebeest is lying down with a herd a few hundred meters from where his brother is being devoured. With no stress from reliving the past and no anxiety from imagining the future, in other words, it's time, the sense of time, our sense of past and future. That's where our problems lie. I, when I think of the past, well, in our involuntary chatter, the wondering, considering, remembering, imagining, wanting, wishing, takes us out of the present, the here and now, and transports us somewhere into the past or future with feelings of grief, stress, dissatisfaction, anxiety, or regret? And then I ask, well, is it possible to have the survival advantages from the sense of time without the unpleasant feelings that reduce our quality of time? And yes, there is a solution, at least partially. And it lies with a principal feature of consciousness, self-awareness, specifically, embodied self-awareness and awareness as feeling in other words the feeling of your body and when your experience includes the feel of your body when you are conscious of your body it includes your experience includes you as the embodied self you are then in the here and now because experience is in the here and now except that the experiencer is not Wow. You are in the here and now. You are present. When you are present, you are not in time. When you're not in time, there is no past to be stressed about, no future to fear. And so this is why so many talk about living in the present moment, because the present moment, there is no stress or fear. It's just the present moment. And yes. it's, you know, it's, it's interesting what you're saying, because I do some... Um, some trauma release uh, work with clients. And um, one of the things that I have people do when they're having, you know, a, a fight or flight episode that, you know, where the switch just won't turn off is um, I have them bring themselves back to the present moment through their senses, mm -hmm. looking to see, um, look at things in a different way, feel something, smell something, become very highly alert through your senses to where you are now. And that helps to break the cycle of the, of, of this, um, yes, 
fight or flight, right? So that's kind of what you're saying, right? Yes. yes. To the and, to the moment, to the here and now. Yes, and uh, it's often tricky to uh, try to be present because the you know the the mind reasserts itself, or shall I say, the brain reasserts itself with the in the in the mind. And so you're still back with your thoughts, <coughs> and all thinking is uh, requires time. If you don't have time, if you don't, then you don't think, you feel, you see, you 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 uh, sense. Um, and so, uh, if I encounter difficulty and there are thoughts uh, associated with it. Like, uh, I feel something here and I wonder what it is. Does this mean that I've got, you know, some something going on? Um, to be present with it, because I'll be thinking, you know, in the future, uh, God, what food peas, so on and so forth. Uh, if I uh, just feel the body, my body, and let that be, my experience and when I'm present with the body I'm going to be present with the, when thoughts come up I'm going to be present with the thoughts yeah those are thoughts and that uh, then I can be much more present much more in the here and now and uh, I don't make a problem of it then yeah it's mm. there it's something that's going to have to be considered but I don't want to be thinking about it and worrying about it and concerned about it. And my mind is, uh, you know, I should be thinking about other things and and that. So it's uh, having your consciousness somewhat on your body really helps you to be in the here and now. That's so interesting. So when we begin to ruminate um, or worry or, or any of those things, just accepting the thought as the thought that we're having in the here and now brings us more to the present and takes us away yes, from that I, future fear. Okay. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And, uh, well, the spiritual teacher, Eckhart Tolle, right. said I'm the same thing. And yeah. Yes. And uh, his book is so um, common sense in a way because you can see that it's really based on his experience. It's not, it's not a lot of, uh, of uh, categorical ruminations. Uh, you can see that he went through this and he said, what's going on here? And, uh, and, and he lays out a, a common sense approach to it. And it, mm-hmm. I mean, in the end, we, we differ because I say it's brain function. And he said it's something else, but uh, it, it's, it's a wonderful book. Yes, he's he is amazing. He and he's he's connected spiritually. He he gets information, um, but yeah, he's. I know his words can change lives. I have a client who um, was suffering so tremendously in his life, and um, when he began to read Eckhart Tolle. His life completely changed. His perspective completely changed. It was really miraculous what um, what he was able to do through Eckhart's words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he's a good man. Mm-hmm. I remember I went to a retreat uh, many years ago, and uh, I remember when he came into the room and uh, just sat five minutes did not speak, and everybody is waiting for him to speak. And finally said, are you waiting for something? And uh, everybody laughed. In other <laughs> words, we weren't present. Uh, we were in the future. Why, what's he going to say? When's he going to start? And that was wonderful. <laughs> that's, that's really interesting. So how can we apply? Uh, oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. So you are a lawyer and a strategic planner. So how do we plan and not get caught up into the fear and the worry of planning? 
Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, I think that that takes, uh, that takes some self-training um, to be present so that you're carried away in your thoughts. Um, I don't have a clear answer in it because I haven't, uh, I haven't completely, uh, you know, mastered that myself. Uh, so I can answer. I'm, I'm not quite sure how you do it effectively, but I've got a sense of it. You just, you try to be conscious of what you're doing right now. And to the extent that you can, you kind of let your body take over. And, uh, which is a funny thing to say, but it's amazing what the body will do. And in a sense, then what you're really doing is putting it back to the brain and, uh, so that uh, you don't have to be, no, I, uh, I, I better be careful going in that direction. It's, uh, <laughs> it's tricky to do it, but I think just being aware that, okay, I want to plan right now, and how do I do it and be present? I think, I think checking yourself on a regular basis, I think that's probably, that's one way to do it. And I get, you know, I actually get this question often, you know, when I'm talking to people about focusing on the present moment and not on the future. And they say, well, there is a future. And how do we, you know, should we not make any plans? Should we not have any strategy? Should we not have um, any hopes, you know, for the future? Yes. And this is, where, this is where the fine line is drawn. It gets very tricky here. Yes. Uh, well, let's see. There are some things that I have to do this afternoon. I'm going to get together with uh, three of my children, and I'm saying that, so in a sense I'm planning, but I'm feeling I'm aware of my body at the same time, and uh, I am present. I think that there are, I think there are ways to do it, and not and I don't think you're going to be completely successful because uh it's that yeah it's you're you're asking the brain to do certain things that uh that maybe it can't can't do I mean when I say you're asking the brain again it's just all brain function language it doesn't keep up with where we are in with the brain research and so it's it's easy to get tangled up in the with the language and you're no longer in sync with the neurological uh findings but there are i there are ways to do it and i think you can be certainly being aware of it aware of what you want to do i want to stay present i want to plan how am i going to do it i think that's what's key mm -hmm. and then you simply do the best you can you experiment their ways right it's i think getting rid of the fear of, of future and the, you know the worry about how our plans are going to turn out is quite a challenge to us it's, yes it's not an easy thing to do especially when these are very important things that we're planning um boy this can get so deep can it robert <laughs> this is really amazing oh well nothing is more complex and you know it's uh the uh it's called the the hard problem i mean we know so little about how the brain uh creates what our our experience uh we're talking about cells and uh chemistry and electricity and you put these things together and the result is I believe such and such. I feel such and such. I, I've got to, uh, there's a movie that I want to see. Everything that is in my experience comes from these cells. Now, how did they do it? How do they create a belief or, or loving a, uh, something or someone? We don't know. And, uh, so we can put somebody on the moon. But we don't know how to do it. We can create the deep blue, the IBM chess, uh, I'll call it chess computer. And, uh, 
it can uh, it can be the champion. Uh, I think it lost its last match with Gary Gasparov, but uh, <laughs> we have no idea how to create Gasparov, how to create his his brain, but we can create something that can compete with him. So I mean, biologically, we're nowhere. That's what I that's what I believe. Mm-hmm. That that's the hard problem in philosophy, and it's simply acknowledged as that. Okay, and then oftentimes where philosophers seem to go is then talking about the language that we use to talk about that. And uh, that's that's where you can talk. When we get into language, then we can, you know, we can go on and on and on. Uh, mm-hmm. Because a lot of the problems that we have is because of the language that we use to try to account for things. That's so true. That's so true. You were saying before that, you know, color doesn't exist except in our perception. And I I had actually heard that no two people see colors the same exact way. And that really, that speaks to that, you know, that we think that our, uh, you know, and this is um, perception is uh, another thing that I like to, to talk with my clients about because we think that everybody's perception is the same as ours. And that is not true. I don't think any two people have the same perspective, perception um, or outlook on anything. It's all very unique to us. Yeah. It's uh yeah, it's the brain has the self, believing that it is in the external world that I what I am seeing right now is the bookcase I am I am I am seeing the external world but that is not correct if the color is in the mind the color is in the brain and therefore in the mind everything else is in other words, the world is something that is brain-produced. My experience of the world right now, and um, uh, I mean, uh, I could ask somebody, which world, the external real world or the conscious world that is a representation of the real world, are you in? And that person might answer, the real world, the sofa I'm on is not just something in my mind. I can feel it, push on it. It's real, but the feeling of firmness and pressure is in your mind. Your sense of your physical body, the sight and feel of it are in your mind. Thermometers and blood pressure monitors can gauge and record your body, but their meanings are in your mind. So this is where all attempts to prove the existence of the external world end up. So conclusion, your world is your brain's representation in consciousness, external world, which is absolutely amazing because I can and you can navigate the external world wonderfully. And uh, basketball players can can uh, jitter around and, and uh, make a break for the basket, and th- but it's all happening in the mind. Fantastic. So, so what words of wisdom can you leave us with? How do we apply this? How do we remember how miraculous we truly are? Well, I think the first thing is to, well, you, you can read the book. I have to say there are other books and there are other places to go to, to find it. Plenty. And this is, I wrote a very short book. I, I, I don't want to inundate somebody with, uh, with information. I want mm-hmm. to just hit the salient points. And uh, if you read it, and particularly the second part of the book, the appreciation of what it is, that'll be, if you haven't done it before, that would be the beginning of appreciating of coming to not just appreciate, but to marvel at your average day when you just, the one experience, the experience that you're having right now, what it takes to have that. And it's, 
when you see that, it, it, it's a, that sense of appreciation, I think, is a wonderful component of the happiness. Things that we take for granted when we sit down and really appreciate what a human brain, human mind, human experience has, it's a, it's a wonderful feeling. Wonder, the sense of wonder. And I can't think of anything that is more wondrous than the human brain, which is, I say in the book, is can be Earth's candidate for the most complex thing in the universe. Wow. Wow. You you are probably right about that. So um, to my listeners, we're talking about Robert Hamity's book, um, You Are Some Piece of Work. So if you are intrigued by this conversation, as I am, <laughs> you will want to pick up a copy of this and start um, really just diving into this kind of thought process. But, you know, um, Robert, thank you, because you've uplifted all of us today to get us out of the, the petty little things that we get bogged down with and to realizing the magic that we are. Well, thank you. Yeah, you can see I enjoy talking about it. Uh, it's, it's wondrous. Yeah, it is wondrous. And um, and I'm sure that people who are listening today and, and will listen in the archives um, will feel a sense of uplift from this. And um, we can all use that on a regular basis. So if we can keep this in mind, keep reminding ourselves who we are, then there's little to be unhappy about it about. So um, I thank you so much for connecting with me, for being my guest today and uh, for writing this amazing book. So um, it's just been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.